You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. everyone and welcome to another one hour at a time. I am thrilled today to have as our guest Raquel Lerner who is a pioneer in the in our profession when it comes to women and family and the treatment of, of women and family. Raquel is a psychotherapist and international consultant. She's an author and lecturer on she's lectured on women and relationships, families and chemical dependency. Esquire Magazine recently honored her work by including Raquel as one of the top 100 women in the United States who are changing the nation, um, which is amazing. Her articles and interviews have been featured in the Washington Post, the New York Times, Newsweek, Time, People, Parents Magazine. She has published Affirmations for Adult Children of Alcoholics and Building Relationships with Less, among many other uh, articles and, and books as well. So uh, welcome, Raquel, and thank, thank you, you so Mary. much for doing this. Pleasure. Um, I've been working this profession for a number of years, and when I first started, it was ma- mainly uh, we treated men in their 40s. Uh, I can remember really having to advocate strongly to even have a woman's group in our residential <laughs> program. It was a 28-day program. And I was told by my female director that men and women are the same, and um, you know, women don't have to be treated differently. And that yes. was probably 1979. Actually, and, and in different parts of the country, uh, it's still a struggle. As I go around and train different therapists and work and consult at different treatment centers, um, it, it still is a pervading issues in some areas um, that, you know, when you say that... Uh, Women, men and women are the same. Um, you know, the, the treatment model or the Minnesota model uh, was developed by Jelinek, who developed his model by studying middle-aged men um, around in their 30s to their 50s. And that same model, of course, has been taken and uh, used with everyone. And I guess... You know, the the upshot has been, unfortunately, that we find that women's experience of addiction is different, and the pathways that lead women to addiction are different than for men. Um, it's I think it goes back to uh, what Carol Gilligan used to say that um, it all goes back to Adam and Eve that if you try to make a woman out of a man, you're bound to get into trouble. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, the stigma for women still exists. Um, women's addiction is discovered at much later stages of the disease than men. Women carry more shame to treatment. And women's experience um, often is that addiction or drug and alcohol use um, is used to medicate the woman's, a woman's experience of disconnection, disconnection from her relationship. Um, connections are so important to women uh, that often problems can be traced, I guess is what I'm saying, to disconnections or violations within their relationship. And, uh, I mean, I could, I, I think it's a lot better in this country. I think it's um, much improved in terms of providing services for women. But I also uh, can relate to what you're saying about what your supervisor told you a long time ago. So it's a, it's a, it's a really important and a, an enjoyable topic for me to address today. Um, early on in my career, um, I was able to uh, work in a woman's halfway house. And one of the things um, here in New Hampshire we don't have a state income tax, so there's very little, and we're a rural state, so there's very little block grant money. So the state decided that the men's halfway house would be the, the same format would be used in the female halfway house, and the women were supposed to go to work within, you know, six or eight weeks. And, 
and they were held to the same standards. And one of the things that I observed was how disconnected we are from each other, how women just don't know how to get along with other women. No, I think that's true. Um, And it's such a tragedy, isn't it? Because there's so much support to be gained. Um, And that, I've been running women's groups in, in women's groups for the past 10 years in Tucson, Arizona in a program that I run down there. And uh, many women that come to my group, and by the way, these are women primarily uh, in recovery, uh, women who are having trouble between um, sobriety and trying to find a life for themselves called transition, and it's difficult. And many women are very reluctant to come to these all-women's groups because they don't know how to get along with women. Uh, they'd much prefer a mixed group, um, but once they do come, the camaraderie is so supportive, so supportive, and I think that's really why we need to have uh, women's treatment and women's groups and uh, female facilitators and counselors running these groups in, in treatment. Um, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that when we when we think about women in recovery, one of the struggles that women in early recovery have is going right into a relationship. And when you had talked about how it's so important for women to be connected, I think sometimes we see a relationship as a solution. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think, um, you know, both men and women have that have that kind of dilemma. But I, I have seen that relationship or getting into a new relationship or the expectations that women have in treatment about relationships um, is so damaging and can be such a trigger for relapse um, that it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And not just relationships. I mean, within that is, of course, sexuality and, uh, you know, that whole, you know, when I go to treatment centers and, and do trainings for therapists, that whole area of, of healthy sexuality and what does that mean within the context of a relationship is very, people are reluctant to address that. And it's so important for women. And why, why do you think that is? Why do you think people are reluctant to address that? Well, you know, sexuality, it's, it's, it's the one area I, I think for for all of us you know we're, we're supposed to know so much about it um, it's supposed to be natural and yet you know it is it's only within recent years that uh, you know kids are getting some some education on it we're supposed to know everything about it but we're not supposed to be able to talk about it right I remember um, a rule growing up in my family that was sex is dirty Save it for the one you love. You know? Yeah. So the, yeah. We had that rule, too. <laughs> and, and, and so many, um, you know, these days, when a woman goes into treatment, I, I just think there's such a, I mean, the statistics vary, but there's such a high percentage of women who have been abused um, sexually, physically, that the notions of, of and, and I think it's not just women who go into treatment. I, I mean, the statistics on abuse and uh, sexual abuse are staggering throughout the country. Um, and your question is a good one. You know, why is this hard to talk about? Well, I have a theory. You want to hear it? I would love to hear it. Okay. My theory is that, bear with me here, a long time ago, the Greeks gave us something uh, called an Orphic dualism, which sounds like a dirty word, but it's not, that men represented the pure and the light and the spiritual, and women represented the dark side, the lustful, the erotic. And historically, there's been very little change in that. There's been very little integration between sexuality and spirituality. And when that happens, when that 
spiritual component is left out of the sexual experience, it becomes dark and it becomes taboo. And I, I have a hunch that that's at, uh, you know, psychologically and sociologically, that's at the root of a lot of uh, problems with sexual addiction. And, you know, I won't go on and on about this, but it has, um, you know, it's an area, it's part of our, our humanness. Uh, it's an area that's of our lives, an aspect of ourselves that is to be uh, honored and enjoyed. And uh, I don't know if we will live to see the day where that really is, it comes to fruition for human beings. But certainly for women in recovery or women going into treatment, their ideas uh, about sexuality and about their own sexuality have certainly been skewed, and especially you add that uh, you add that fact of sexual abuse uh, and physical abuse, and you have a group, a population of women in treatment uh, where sexuality relationship is a huge trigger, and yet it's not being addressed. Um. Stay with us as we, we will continue with this fascinating topic on women in recovery, and um, we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, thank you. So we have about a minute. It was, yeah, okay, uh, when they uh, do the commercial break. So. Well, there's more on sexuality. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't we pick that up? And then I mean, I, if that's of interest. Well, I think I think it is in terms of recovery because it's so little talked about. Yeah, and, it really is. It's just amazing. And even for men, I mean, it's just it's just something that you know, not even I, our treatment center really doesn't go into it that much. I don't know that we're prepared to go into it. And yet, you know, when I do speak to women in recovery about it, I mean, they just are all ears. I mean, there's just not enough they can get of information, even to know what healthy is. Right. Well, especially when you're under the influence the first time you ever experience sex. Or, you know, every time you're under the influence when you experience Right. And when you don't know how your body works, really. You just know that people come together and they're supposed to, you know. (laughs) Right. Right. so I don't know if this is heading in the direction you want yet, but yeah, I think we can. I think we can do some more on that, and then we can come back to uh, relationships and boundaries, and maybe talk a little bit. I know in one of your articles that I read, you talked about some of the like Snow White. You oh, know, the, is that, the fairy tales. That, Absolutely. Is it really? You know, when, when you think about it, the um, what what girls are taught in terms of relationships and you know, so as a culture, we can. We can Start there if you want, or okay. I'm open. Okay. Well, I'd like to finish the sexuality thing because okay. we don't really get much of a chance to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, and so. I'd like to hone it in more on, on women. and. To Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out. And you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. back in one hour at a time. Uh, we're with Raquel Lerner, and we were talking a little bit about women and sexuality and how that relates to uh, sobriety and maintaining recovery. And you were right in the middle of a really good point when we broke. So I was wondering if you would continue, Raquel? Sure, sure. Well, let me be a little bit more specific about how this, uh, the whole area of sexuality is important uh, to women in sobriety. Uh, there are women who come to treatment, many, many women, who their only experience of, of sex has been using. And uh, the fears and the bizarre expectations that they come up with during treatment is, is heart-rendering. I mean, now that I'm, I'm sober uh, and I'm going to have, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have these wonderful sexual experiences. It's going to be terrific. Um, or now that I'm sober, now that I'm a sober woman, I won't be able to be a sexual woman. Uh, sexual identity issues, uh, women who are, are gay, who now are sober and are questioning that whole area or have been, or are indeed gay, that feel as if they can only have a sexual partner if they're, if they're drinking or using. So now what are they supposed to do? They have a partner waiting for them at home. I've had, uh, you know, and, and many women are not aware of their own bodies and how it works. I, I think I mentioned this uh, earlier during the break to you, Mary. You know, many women come to treatment knowing they have the parts and when they get together with someone, they know what to do, but they don't know how it works. And let me give you one example um, of how this is so tragic. I, uh, I worked with a woman who um, did very well in treatment. Her husband was very supportive. She'd only had sex drinking or using. Now, that they both only have sex drinking or using. While he... He gave up smoking dope. She got off alcohol. She was ready to go home, very excited. And she called the next day um, saying that sex was so painful she couldn't stand it. He called a couple weeks later saying, um, what did you do to her? I don't understand. Everything was wonderful. Well, the long and the short is that they had been having sex I don't know how graphic I can get here, Mary. Can I get Oh, a we're on the graphic? Internet, so I think okay. you can. Yeah. They've been having sex one orifice forward of where they should have been having sex. In other words, uh, uh. they've been having sex in her urethra. Oh, my God. And because she was so medicated with alcohol and drugs, she didn't even, she couldn't experience that. And now, this is what I mean about knowing a woman, knowing her own body. Um, 
uh, situations where women will go uh, go back home and they'll get triggered. They'll get triggered by something that will uh, bring forward their memories of abuse. Uh, women who are, are, oh boy, there are so many stories about um, just, you know, information women need about the pill, about birth control. Um, a woman called it once when I was working in northeastern Pennsylvania and uh, said, uh, called the, the, the nurse's station and, and had just left treatment about two weeks previously and said, you know, I'm, I'm, want to commit suicide and I'm overdosing on birth control pills and I'm changing my mind what do I do <laughs> and the nurse said well well stop taking them right now and you know go to the hospital well a month later we find out that they are suing the treatment center and why because the woman's pregnant and why is she pregnant because she said the nurse told her to stop taking birth control pills wow yeah, so, you know, some of this, um, some of this can be alleviated. Some of this can be alleviated if, uh, if treatment counselors and treatment centers are willing to go into this in depth and even starting with what is healthy sexuality and what can you expect when you go home. Right. And, you know, um the, the body changes that a woman goes through in early recovery are Absolutely. much different than what a man goes through. And it's it's very common for a woman not to have her period in early recovery, but that doesn't mean she can't get pregnant. Exactly. And and, and so, you know, and, and in terms of, you know, there's an old, uh, there's a tradition in AA where they say no new relationships or sexual involvements for one year. And I used to think, how controlling is that, you know? You can't get in front of a, a moving train. And then I found out why. And, you know, who we get attracted to, Mary, is so biological, you know, that when the pheromones are pleasing, and pheromones are those molecules that send out your DNA to another human being, and we get attracted to someone with the opposite protein makeup in their DNA as we have. I'm telling you this because if a woman comes to a, a treatment counselor before she leaves, says that, you know, I want to have sex, naturally the, the counselor is going to recommend probably some kind of birth control if, if that's what's required. This is just one small example. The, the pill tricks a woman's body into thinking it's pregnant. And the one thing that women are drawn to, the number two quality that women are drawn to besides a pleasing disposition is smell, the smell of another human being. That's why I brought uh, in that information about pheromone. When I see women who are having trouble with their relationships, oftentimes one thing I'll hear is I don't like the way he smells anymore. Here's what the pill does. When the pill... When the woman takes the pill, she becomes attracted to the scent of, of the men who remind her of father, brother, protector. Once the woman is not on the pill anymore, her body changes, and that's when a woman kind of wakes up one day and says, you know, I don't know what's wrong, but I am just not attracted to women anymore. I don't know if I'm making sense to you. Um, you're making total sense to me, and I'm just amazed that, um, in hearing you say this, that it's like, wow, you know? Yeah. Um, people need this information. I'm I think, think I, I need to call my daughter after this and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's pretty interesting stuff. And, and so the whole area of sexuality, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of need for improvement in education when it comes to this but you know what we're taught about what women are taught about relationships to begin with has been um, has been so diluted right has right. been so diluted and what we're all taught about relationships I mean um, a lot of women uh, 
for a lot of women, I ask them what their favorite fairy tale is. And oftentimes that's been their relationship history. And I, I, I can give you some examples of that if you'd like. Sure. Okay. Well, one is, um, I don't know, what, what was your favorite fairy tale, Mary? Oh, boy. Growing up, probably yep. Cinderella. Yeah, mine too, and I lived yeah. that out. I lived on Cinderella. Cinderella, um, who was probably actually a little bipolar when you look at it. You know, the fairy tale of Cinderella, she sleeps with the birds and then gets uh-huh. really depressed. And um, yeah. What she does, her, her codependent traits are she resigns herself to suffering. Uh, she waits to be rescued, and she pricks, picks the, the Prince Charming in order to, to escape her clinically interesting family. She picks the Prince Charming, um, who wants to marry her before he even knows her. Loves her desperately, but forgets to get her name and address. Uh, but she, she, you know, she needs to get out of the house, and he winds up devel- developing a shoe fetish. Runs around the town looking for her foot. We, I mean, all we hear is happily ever after. We don't see what happens to Cinderella 18 months later when she's waking up to a screaming kid. We just hear happily ever after. Right. Right. You know, and, and Prince Charming. And Prince Charming, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I waited to be rescued by a Prince Charming. Yeah. Typically, what fairy princesses do in fairy tales is they play dead by the side of the road someplace. Right. And wait to be kissed into consciousness. Um, Snow White, who was raised by an alcoholic, probably narcissistic stepmother, spends her time talking in the mirror. And what does Snow White do? escape her family you know she runs out of the house and immediately surrounds herself with men small asexual little men unfortunately Um, and they're named that way right like some of us we're absolutely blind when we get involved and they're you know dopey and sleazy not sleazy sneezy sorry yeah and And on and on yeah yeah um we will continue this conversation when we come back with our break with uh, Raquel Lerner. To Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence based practices, consensus practices, and old fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family center recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. everyone. Um, we are having a fascinating discussion with Raquel Lerner about women in recovery and some of the challenges that women face. Um, certainly one of the biggest ones is how, as a culture, we grow up as women. Um, we tend to grow up in a very narrow kind of um, avenue of, you know, you can, you're a caregiver, and being a caregiver usually is seen as being something negative. Um, we really aren't taught to get along well with each other. And, um, you know, our culture just kind of reinforces things that make us feel bad about ourselves. And we were talking during the break about some of the music that we've listened to growing up, some of the current music that is so degrading to women, and then some of just the, the shows that we see on television where if you don't feel good about yourself, you can have plastic surgery, nip and tuck, uh, some of the extreme makeover shows where um, women are striving for perfection and really not able to embrace who they are or enjoy who they are. And um, in addition to our culture, there's things that we need to understand about relationships that include, like, boundaries. You talk a lot about boundaries in your when you speak and in your writing. Raquel, and I wondered if you could just um, talk... Are boundaries, do you mean like being codependent? What do you mean? What I mean by boundaries, um, boundaries is, uh, are about, uh, about our integrity, and meaning that boundaries are how we protect ourselves, Mary, from others, and how we are able to contain ourselves or protect others from our our behavior or reactions. Um, and when you talk about culture at large, I mean, you don't have to do too much to witness, uh, you know, boundary violations. You know, just turn on your television or open the newspaper. Um, to see the, it's really lack of reverence for other human life. Um, you can't have relationships without boundaries. And, uh, you know, when... When folks go to treatment, um, I think the treatment in this country does a pretty good job of teaching people how to protect themselves, meaning, um, you know, watching for these triggers for relapse and not going to the same places, hanging out with the same people. But treatment doesn't do, I think, a great job of teaching alcoholics, addicts about what we call containment which is part of boundaries. And uh, containment containment is um, containment means that if, uh, if you have a reaction, if you have a strong emotion, that or if you want to haul off and slug someone or scream some, at someone, that you are taught skills so that you can contain that emotion. And it involves something called self-soothing, being able to calm down. Um, many people use uh, drugs and alcohol to do that for them. Right? Uh, drugs and alcohol uh, sometimes stir people up or rile them up. I hear comments from women like, um, I'll give you an example of lock, lack of containment, which is part of boundaries. Women who say, uh, Raquel, I had to, I had to slap him. He was uh, he was threatening my sobriety, or um, um, or Raquel, um, you know my son. My son is is like uh, wearing no underwear, and this kid is like eight years old, six years old. My son is is wearing no underwear around the house. I think he's coming on to me, and I I, I couldn't help doing something about it. You know, it gets pretty hideous, Mary. Uh. And 
you know, the, the mantra for boundaries is what I value, I will protect. And containment is what you value, I will respect. But, uh, you know, in, it, I love the topic of boundaries. I, I wrote a book on boundaries called Living in the Comfort Zone, and I thought it would be a simple book to write. It takes me a year to write a book. Seven years later, when I finish, wow! This comes—it has to do with I think our primary way that we learn to attach to other human beings, and the way we learn to attach to our mothers and fathers uh, defines what our boundaries are. And uh, the rules that come down in our homes, if, if uh, you were given the rule, children should be seen and not heard, uh, and that rule was delivered in a very punishing or harsh way, that can keep a bandage over your mouth for the rest of your life. Women will lose their voice. Or what we do when we're given those kinds of rules, or we go to the flip side. And we become one of those people I sit next to in the airplane where they open their mouths and you hear everything from their DNA to the present of the afternoon. You know? Right. They just right. keep going. Right. But women are taught different boundaries than men. Uh, women are taught to have 10-foot antenna, if you will, and anticipate the needs of others. Right. What men are taught to set boundaries, to have limits. Women, actually, historically, men are taught to have their needs met by their mothers without having to know what their needs are or even ask for them. So here you pair up men and women, and uh, women are supposed to anticipate needs. Men are supposed to have their needs met. It's not about bad or, or good it just sets up a very painful paradigm in relationship between men and women. And you add that to the shame that women carry with them anyway in, in, into treatment, and you have women who either sacrifice themselves because they don't have any limits, they're so afraid of losing their relationship that they violate their own boundaries. Um, or you have women and men or women who um, have been so wounded in their lives that they, instead of a healthy boundary, they've built a brick wall around themselves. Right, right. Or, and then how do you help women who have built the brick wall around themselves access those connections that are so important in recovery and in life? Absolutely, and that's what I love doing. That's the area that I love working on with women. How do you do that, Raquel? Well, you know, it's all back to the body, Mary. Um, the only way we know what our boundaries are, really, is our body tells us, our gut, our temperature, our breath. Um, and that I have to start with women sometimes at the very elementary level. Uh, exercises by, you know, walking toward them, asking them to really pay attention to their gut. When am I getting too close? Uh -huh. um, I have them outline pictures of themselves on a big piece of mural paper. I mean, if you don't know where your emotions are, you're not going to know where your boundaries are. We will talk a little bit more about boundaries when we come back from our next station break. We'll be right back with Rappel Learner. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. One hour at a time, we're talking with Raquel Lerner, and we were talking about um, boundaries and, and some practical things you do to help women um, get reconnected and to learn boundaries. And Raquel, where uh, where could people go if they wanted to experience some of, of these interventions? I... Uh this is an area, as I mentioned before, that I, I deal with with women in depth. And uh, I do a, a program at Cottonwood to Tucson every month. It's called Inner Path. And I do five days just for women. And it's in that five days that I do this experiential work with women in order to help them um, find their voice, clarify their boundaries, and develop more of uh, an action plan for their lives. And, uh, you know, it's boundaries, Mary. It's not a topic that you can just sit around and discuss. People don't change their boundaries by simply knowing about them. You must actually use the body. And that's why... um, That's why it's so important in in these programs that I run that... uh, they are somewhat informational, but they're mostly experiential because people have to go practice. And there's an old saying, if, if we don't scream, our bodies will. Right. And our body doesn't lie. It's, it's so in, in this experiential work, it's really allowing the woman to come back into herself, into her body, to notice the reactions, to connect up the head and the heart, to know that when my stomach is in a knot, it could be that somebody's coming too close to me because that's fear. Okay. And then gradually, gradually not taking down the wall that's built around them, but allowing them to put a door in that wall with the doorknob on the inside so they have control about who comes in and who they let out. And all of that stems from asking this woman, you know, what... What is her, what does your heart long for? And so many women who carry this wall around them so crave and want, you know, a companion or a partner or friends. They just don't know how to do it. Is, 
is this program for women in recovery, or can any women? Any woman can come. Um, any woman can come. I, I often get women who are, have lost, just lost their way, Mary. You know, they've lost their path, and they're coming to reclaim their purpose. Uh, I get women who are in flux or are in painful relationships that have lost themselves. A lot of people, Mary, come to, a lot of women come to let go of something, let go of an old attachment that doesn't work for them, let go of an old role they used to play. Women who are trying to make the transition and between sobriety and recovery. And, you know, recovery is much more than sobriety. And if women are not dealing with their relationships, their sexuality, their bodies, their boundaries, they never quite leave the prison. What they learn to do is decorate their jail cells a little better. And so this is a format where we help women transition into recovery, and recovery literally means finding a way of living that works physically, emotionally, relationally, um, every which way. And so... uh, it's not just women in recovery, but we get, uh, I would say we get primarily women in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're thinking about treatment, oftentimes uh, many programs are co-ed. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you, what do you think works best for women, co-ed treatment or women programs that are just strictly for women? What I think works best in treatment is women's program. I say that having experienced both. I used to to facilitate co-ed groups. And what I find in co-ed groups is that the dynamic is that either women in that group vie for male attention. Sometimes women wind up holding the, the emotions or expressing the emotions in the group. Many women don't feel safe in a co-ed group. I mean, you have to look at, again, the statistics of how many of these women have been sexually and physically and emotionally abused by men. Mm-hmm. And so I think co-ed groups, there, there are places for co-ed groups in treatment. And I think I, I also believe, and I think the research backs this up, that when women first enter treatment, they need a they need a female group. I'm happy to hear you say that because uh, it kind of supports my experience as well. Um, in terms of you know men and women in early recovery, they each need to focus on themselves, and sometimes our need to connect just gets in the way of being able to focus on ourselves. So. I, I agree. I agree. You know, and that understanding that need to connect is is something that um, you have to you have to know who you are first before you really can benefit from that connection. You know, and not just as you were saying earlier, recreate um, in recovery what you were experiencing when you were using. Exactly, and and you know, women learn how to be women. I think from other women. That's right. Um, to learn how to be a woman from a man is like running to the hardware store for raisins, you know? Yep. We need other women to be able to do that. So I feel quite strongly about this. Um, when we're thinking about the comfort zone that you've written about, um, women in early recovery often, or even just in recovery in general, um, Often we'll talk about, you know, they're they're grateful, yet they just don't feel complete, or um, they they still seem to be have kind of an edge to them that, um, you know, it's you can see that they're just struggling, and um, and how difficult it is for them to find any type of a comfort zone. And how can women gain that? Well, you know, I think. That is a process, Mary. I mean, I, I don't think, by finding a comfort zone, uh, 
I think it entails all the things we've been talking about. I think it is how to live in your own skin, learning how to calm yourself, how to self-soothe, how to nurture yourself. I think, you know, in, in treatment, we take away the one coping mechanism and soothing mechanism that women have had. Right. And what do we replace it with? So perhaps it is teaching women to strengthen their emotional muscles a little bit more to tolerate transition. The comfort zone, um, find, and, and part of that is, is learning where your boundaries are and learning what's not safe for you and how to find that kind of, of comfort and nurturing and how to ask for it when you need it. I mean, discomfort will happen. And, and of course, women find it challenging, you know, in early sobriety. Of course they do. But that's the beauty of 12-step programs. That's the beauty of sponsorship. Women need to form what I call nurturing networks. Um, and that doesn't happen immediately. So perhaps I think the, the mentoring that has to go on, I, I think there is more connection between treatment and the outside world in terms of establishing those networks that need to happen. But it surely is all a process, and we have to be the, op the containers for optimism for these women because they don't have any. Um, that's, a, that's a great way to kind of wrap this up in terms of us being containers for optimism. Raquel, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way is either to contact me at, uh, at my office, which is, uh, can I give that number? Yes, you can. 651-307-4592 or at Cottonwood Day Tucson where I run my program which is 1-800-877-4520 Two zero? Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much for this wonderful hour, Raquel. Um, I have found it very enlightening and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Um, thank you once again for spending time with us. It's been a pleasure, Mary. It's, it's, uh, it's been fun to talk to you. And Have a great honor. week. You too. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, one hour at a time. We'll see you next week.